This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. James Beard Awards are among the most prestigious in the culinary arts, but for years they've also struggled to recognize enough chefs who aren't white and male. The foundation that runs the awards has launched an effort to diversify the pool of award recipients and better reflect the really wonderful mix of cultures you see on the restaurant scenes in cities across the nation. Joining us now to talk a little more about this issue are two people really close to it. Tunde Wei is a Nigerian immigrant and an artist and a cook and a writer who has done some really interesting things with diversity and food and race. Tunde, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Uh, also with us is Mitchell Davis. He is the James Beard Foundation's chief strategy offer, uh, officer. Uh, tonight at the Urban Consulate uh, at uh, the Scarab Club at uh, 217 Farnsworth here in Detroit, uh, he's going to be part of a presentation called Awarding Equity, a conversation with the James Beard Foundation. That is free and open to the public with first come, first serve seating, again, at the Scarab Club from 6 to 8 p.m. It will also feature Food Lab Executive Director Davida Davison and Free Press restaurant critic Mark Kurlianchik. Mitchell Davis, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. Yeah. So let's start with you, Mitchell. How did the James Beard Foundation become interested in this idea of diversifying its awards uh, and recognizing a little more of the food world than it has? Um, it, well, it, it's not a new idea, let's say. <laughs> um, and um, I think as an organization, we've always been trying to recognize the diversity of our food. And I think increasingly, uh, as the food community has realized that that is just a surrogate for the diversity of its people, we've been wanting to um, find a way to represent. And honestly, uh, the Me Too moment preempted our conversation, um, forced us to think about what the awards mean. Um, and by that, I mean that that they're not just awards for people's technical skills in the kitchen, but they're awards for the leadership that chefs show. And so in asking, um, are ju- encouraging the judges and committees who are all volunteers, who are all experts in the field, we we are not involved as staff in any way in those awards, but but obviously we oversee them and we're encouraging them to recognize that that role of leadership and to vote knowing what they know. We saw very different awards in 2018 than we have seen before, a very different looking um, cohort of awardees. And as an organization um, ever since and, and a little bit before, we've been wanting to make sure that we continue to broaden that purview and find all the people you mentioned who mm-hmm. are doing great things. And, and was this a question of changing some of the criteria for the awards or changing the process? What, what, what did you there do? Aren't, there aren't criteria per se. It's not a checklist. We don't have a, a team of inspectors out there like some other award programs. We do have um, local journalists and food experts in the field who vote. Um, um, we call them judges and then previous awardees. Uh, what, really what we did was just uh, everything we could to cast a wider net. So it's a little complicated and we don't have a lot of time, but <laughs> different awards, you know, books, journalists, whatever. And then there are chef awards require different types of entry. So we created a free entry period to sort of broaden the pool so that the $125 or whatever um, the, the normal cost is wouldn't be a barrier just to try to make sure that, ev- that we had the broadest candidate pool possible. Uh, and then set the judges out to do what they do and yeah. see what they see. And you're getting you're getting better results in a in a pretty 
a narrow window. I guess. Yeah, so, last uh, year was fast. Uh, <laughs> this year we hope to be as broad. But you know, it's uh, as an organization, we're trying to push from the other side. So that's how the awards work, and they're the biggest thing we do. But really, fundamentally, and Tunde will talk to this more structurally, um, the industry needs to be more inclusive. Um, needs to find ways to elevate a, a broader, you know, not just women, not just people of color, but but more broadly, different perspectives in some way. And so we're trying as an organization to support those sorts of programs, internships, scholarships. Um, even industry conversations about the issues that people haven't seen. So mm. we're trying to push, we're trying to broaden it from the bottom and we're trying to hope that the people looking at the top <laughs> see that that breadth. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tunde, uh, you're somebody who works in this space. Give us an idea of what your experiences have been like in terms of uh, the diversity in the industry, the recognition of diversity in the industry, uh, and and what you see changing, maybe, maybe for the better. Yeah, so... I don't. I don't think it's even important to to, to express like an expert um, perspective, right? I think if you go to restaurants in Detroit <laughs> sure. currently, you know, you see the sorts of um, kind of the kinds of restaurants that are popular and celebrated by the media and by capital are the sorts of restaurants that have um, white folks owning it, white folks um, patronizing it, and black and brown folks um, usually in the back or maybe even uh, not present. Um, in that space at all. And so I think that it is obvious anecdotally um, and it's also true um, um, statistically too that diversity isn't um, a thing in in industry. But even, even beyond that, I think that what we're trying to talk about is a shift in power, right? So we, I'm not concern with, you know, um, different faces holding the same sort of power that um, reify the same structure that, that, that doesn't um, support folks. I'm talking about like a complete um, shift. And what that looks like is that the folks who do hold power um, begin to think of ways to, um, to give that up, you know. And so this mm-hmm. is the conversation that uh, Mitchell and I have been having for two years. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that he's here and that he's interested in coming to talk to folks in Detroit. I think the the Beard Foundation holds um, a very special and um, uh, prestigious place in people's minds when it comes to food. And so for somebody of his stature to be coming here, not Mm. to talk about how sexy food is, (laughs) but how important it is Mm. to talk about equity and uh, and a shift in power, I think, is uh, so. Powerful so you said something really interesting. Just one there. thing. Really <laughs> one one maybe, particular maybe thing. thing, right? <laughs> uh, this idea that uh, there's a need for people who have power in this space to give it up. Uh, I, I think historically we know, uh, not just from the history of this country, but from the history of the world, that power almost never. Uh, gives itself away, right? Uh, and so talk about what you mean when you say that. I mean, so that's why I go to bed crying every night because that's <laughs> that's the truth. Like power concedes nothing. Right. Um, but I think that there are concessions that we can extract. And so that's what, that's what that um, uh, negotiation is. Like what can we extract and how can we keep pushing the conversation forward. I mean, I, I like for me, I think conceptually, and so that work is separate from like what practically needs to happen. And what practically needs to happen is what you have said is this realization, which some people may may um, call pessimistic, but I think is pragmatic that power concedes 
nothing. So to what extent can we like drive the conversation and what sort of material gains are mm. acceptable? I, I would say very practically in the food space, um, where you are looking, what, where, what your gaze is focused on is one of the first steps. So if you're just looking at the plate, then you're not going to see what we're talking about, right? I mean, it's there, but you, you're not going to see uh, the people. And there's been this obsession with food uh, lately and, you know, always, I guess. And I've been part of that. But it, it, in my evolution of thinking, I've realized it ain't about the food, right? <laughs> um, so that's the product of all of these things. And these so when you start things. to see the people, when you start to see the money, which is really important and where it goes, you start to you become mindful of things that um, that may or may not be visible on the plate, but that are really important to the sort of goodness of that food. Yeah. Uh, Tende, I had Mark Kurlianchuk here uh, maybe a few months ago, and we were talking uh, about this same the same issue, and and he was talking about this change that he's noticed, uh, not in the sort of uh, the hottest parts of of town where you see restaurants opening a lot right now, and they are all I think uh, being opened by a pretty narrow cast of of of, of characters in terms of demographics. Uh, but but when you leave those spaces and go to other spaces in Detroit, that you're starting to see opportunities crop up for people who have been left out of uh, of those other spaces. Can you talk a little about what you're seeing? Yeah. Also, I like that you use the word cast because that has multiple <laughs> uh, connotations. Yeah, right. Um, with an E or without. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> um, so I think when I think of, of representation, I think of it across the spectrum. And so I think that a lot of times, and I'm, I may be using this um, wrongly because it's not mine, but we, we stack the bottom with black and brown folks. And so if we're looking at Detroit and we're looking at the downtown area and this is, you know, the so-called 7.2, this is sort of like um, where a lot of power resides, like political power, civic power, um, economic power, then the idea that we should be celebrating um, you know, restaurants popping up in other parts of the city that don't have the same um, um, advantages. I don't think it's uh, it's 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 quite um, it gives quite the full picture, mm -hmm. right? We should have restaurants in the neighborhoods for sure, and and they're there and they have been there, but we should also have restaurants that are black owned. Um, because Detroit is 80% black, represented in this sort of like new wave of restaurants mm -hmm. coming up. Same thing with, um, you know, in, in, in all spaces, from the rarefied to the um, commodified, there should be representation across the board. And, we, you know, we should be more um, nuanced in how we scrutinize the numbers and not just say, well, we have, you know, a bunch of black-owned restaurants. But where? Where are they? And are they sort of like getting the same... Uh, treatment as the other ones, and and I, you know, as, as somebody who doesn't know as much about the restaurant industry as the, as the two of you, I guess my question is: if you get an opportunity to open a restaurant in a neighborhood, a small restaurant in a neighborhood, uh, does that lead to the opportunity to to move that restaurant into a space like downtown or midtown, or to open another restaurant in downtown or midtown? And if it does, you know, is the opportunity being uh, being made available in an equitable way, right? Uh, if that's the path to a big restaurant uh, on Woodward Avenue, uh, is it open to everyone? 
I actually think it takes a visionary developer, honestly, for that to be true because uh, restaurants are, no, no matter who owns the restaurant, they are low margin, bad businesses that you don't really <laughs> want to get into. Let's start there. Even the most successful ones. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think um, someone who were to recognize the value of place in the sorts of developments that we're talking about, um, let's put the race of those people outside the conversation, I think would be tapping into a very important moment and future for food and business in this country that um, I, I, I've only seen a few examples of that in, in cities around the country because everyone wants the celebrity. They want the thing that they think is going to bring the shiny light onto their thing. And at the, at the Beard Organization, one of the things we're, we're getting away from is this no, notion that celebrity is about um, shine and actually not about values in some way, and it's a hard one to do. You know, mm. there it, money likes to it's like crows; it likes to go to the shiny things. But, um, but I I'm hopeful. I'm starting to see change there, and and a real recognition of local communities supporting their own in a way that I'm I'm hopeful will lead to a, a, a different sort of food frenzy. Can I just say? Yeah, I think I think two things are true. I think that it is true that restaurants are a difficult business. But it's also true that, say, being unemployed is a difficult place to be, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I think at times there's this conflation that I've heard chefs make that we work so hard and we've done so much and, you know, and this, we don't make a lot of money. But that is the condition of a bunch of people. It doesn't matter sure. how rich you are, how, you know, and, and so I think that to um, to Mitchell's point, the, the visionary that he's talking about, and I think that we need are the folks who recognize the gentrification and the displacement properties of restaurants, that they are now sort of like the anchor um, tenant in these discriminatory um, developments that come up across the country. And so for people who are developing these new, new um, restaurants, um, they have to think about that. They have to think about the sort of neighborhood that they're going into and the sort of neighborhood that they want. And specifically, they have to think about protecting the integrity of that community while also being somewhat unpermeable hmm. so that new folks can come in and there's, and, and there's change. But I don't think folks are thinking about that. I, I don't think the folks who are interested in um, uh, uh, sort of master planning the downtown communities are thinking about that. And maybe there's a shift happening now. I hope the shift is, is sustained. I mean, I was just going to ask, yeah. James, uh, if if you know of a city that you think is handling this in a way that's exemplary. Is somebody doing it right? I actually don't know. I won I've wondered since I got to Detroit. It's Mitchell, by the way. James Beard is my muse. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I, 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 to be mistaken for Mr. Beard, that's a good thing. Uh, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I when I look at dynamic food cultures around the world, I've been trying to understand what what sets them apart. And to me, there there is always a sense of pride that's really hard to quantify. And it's a local pride. It's not, oh, look, we have these great things from other places. It's look what's happening here. And it can be, a, a, you know, you can use words that have become meaningless, intentionality, authenticity, something about the community that is proud of what they have, um, that celebrates their own, whether or and, and somehow that leads to a uniqueness. And I think when, when I see communities like that, I know that um, they will 
grow in organic, interesting ways. Of course, they will then also be seen by opportunistic developers who want to capitalize on them. And it's no, it's no surprise that restaurants are always on the forefront of gentrification because they need to go where the rents are cheapest because the business model is a little screwed, right? right? right. So they go there and then everyone comes and then they, whenever your lease is up, they leave because they can't afford to be there in they the next iteration. Stay. Yeah, and so it's a, it is this, this vicious cycle in some ways. And I think that to find a way that um, as Tunde says, a new vision for what that successful capital venture looks like um, that is regenerative or in addition to being restorative of a community, um, whoever gets that model right is going to have the best food in the world in some way. And I just want to point out like that work is happening in Detroit currently, right? There are folks like Food Lab, mm -hmm. um, folks like the um, Detroit uh, Black Food Security Network. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, there are folks, yeah, like um, AMP, uh, that are doing this work. And so the alternative realities that we're talking about aren't alternative in the places that, that are being, hmm. that, that are practicing them. Um, and I think that the, the big developers, and I'm talking about the Quicken and those folks uh, on Bedrock, they need to start engaging folks who are doing the work. The foundations too need to start engaging folks who are, who are doing the work. Because At that level. Exactly. Because right. beyond, beyond, just, um, beyond just the need to, 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 to be or attempt to look um, progressive, the actual model that exists, to your point, is not um, sustainable. Hmm. Economically, it, you, you can't continue to grow and expand at a rate um, that doesn't support the community. Who is going to work there? Who is going to live there? If folks can afford to live here because of um, uh, 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 rising prices, who's going to, to be working at the restaurants? Um, so these are the questions that even for, for the self-preservation of this sort of um, destructive uh, system, like <laughs> folks need to think differently. Yeah. Okay. Tunde Wei, artist, cook, and writer, thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you very much. Also, Mitchell Davis, uh, the James Beard Foundation's James. Uh, chief strategy officer, a.k.a. James. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Also, a reminder that that event is at the Urban Com Consulate uh, tonight at the Scarab Club from 6 to 8 p.m. It is free and open to the public with first-come, first-served seating. Up next, we're going to talk about the opportunities and hurdles that young people face here in Southeast Michigan. Stay with us on Detroit Today.